we're going to continue our series, um, we're actually finishing it today, uh, entitled Resolve, picking up the idea of the new year being a time when we consider our lives and whether we want to resolve to do anything, uh, anything new, take a new direction. And we've been looking at particular emphases in the Bible about the things that really we should be very focused on. And today we're going to look at one verse, uh, John 14, 15. I'm hoping the, uh, the presentation will come up um, on the screen here behind me in, in just a moment or two. Um, and uh, just to remind you, of course, that we have a great ally in our attempt to live for Jesus, and that is the Holy Spirit, uh, depicted here by a sort of wave running through the word resolve. Because actually, if it was just down to us to sort of pull ourselves up by our bootlaces, um, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have much confidence in myself to be able to live for Jesus. But our, the Spirit comes and strengthens us in our determination to live for him. Now, as I say, we're only going to look at one verse, and you might think, oh, I can't be bothered to look up one verse in the Bible. I'll probably be able to. Let's all turn to this in the Bible. It's good to get used to opening the Bible, either a literal book or on your device. It's seven words, but I'm going to wait until everybody's got it in front of them before I say them. And the words are these. Now, Jesus speaking, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that's, um, th there's a bit of a sort of almost cognitive dissonance about that. The depictions of love in our culture is that love is a feeling primarily. And so the idea that somehow love is expressed through obedience, that perhaps, I don't know about you, but I think in terms of our cultural narrative about love, that grates a bit. Love isn't about such mundane things, is it? As in fact, obedience, it just sounds a bit dry and harsh and lifeless. Jesus said, you know, when we're singing worship songs, it's very easy, isn't it, to, to feel a sense of God's, God's love in our lives. And yeah, we love Jesus. Yeah, we'll sing the songs. But does that really, you know, have anything to do with what I'm going to be doing tomorrow morning or how I might behave this afternoon? Well, Jesus seems to think so. Seems to think that love... And obedience to his instructions are two sides of the same coin. In fact, love is expressed through obedience to the instructions of Jesus, the commands of God. And it's my um, conviction, really, that, that the acid test of our worship is not how well we can sing together, although I don't mean to undermine that at all. Very important to give expression to our love for Jesus but if we honor God with our lips but our, and our hearts are far from him that's just hypocrisy and it doesn't impress God who after all can look straight into the caverns of your soul and see exactly what's going on and Jesus said the authenticity of your love is demonstrated then by obedience to his commandments so I want to think about this theme obedience uh, this morning, and it's uncomfortable because I think 
the wider context we're in celebrates freedom. And freedom, to the average Westerner, feels like it is constrained by commandments and obedience and authority and all these related themes. Can I have the next slide, please? I don't know. Uh, absolutely nobody remembered this song that I remember quite vividly. If you're in my age group, maybe you will remember it. There was a band called the Soup Dragons. Anyone remember them? Absolutely nobody. I'm ploughing a lone furrow here. But you can look them up, right? When I was about, I suppose, 20 or so, they sang a song. And the refrain in the song was, it was a big hit. And I reckon some of you would remember it if you heard it. I'm free to do what I want any old time. And the interesting thing about this song is that the genre, the style of music was gospel. He had a gospel choir behind him. And he sang it with this gospel style. I'm free. I can do anything I want. And the refrain came back, don't be afraid of your freedom. And there are some folk who think that this is Christianity. And the truth is, it nearly is. Genuine Christian teaching is, is quite close to that with, a, with some very important distinctions. But the idea that freedom is to be found in the complete absence of restrictions is naive to the point of childishness. I just want to repeat that. The idea that genuine personal freedom or social freedom is to be found in the absence of restrictions is naive to the point of childishness. It is childish. It is widely believed in our culture at least some of the time. But if you come home, if a person who basically believes that comes home and finds their house has been robbed, they will suddenly believe in rules. Is the alcoholic who expresses their freedom to drink, are they free or are they enslaved? Just to proclaim that I'm free to do whatever I like, and that as an ethos of life, is stupid. That's the truth of it. It is stupid. Only someone who hasn't given five minutes to thinking could really go with such a philosophy. However... It's difficult to preach about this because many people's perception of Christianity is this. Next slide, please. And said in a really sort of grouchy, aggressive voice, right? Thou shalt not. And it's very easy to find figures of the past who, who sort of represent a very kind of authoritarian and um, judgmental almost form of Christianity. These are the rules, and if you can't live by them, you'll be rightly damned, and God will be pleased to send you to hell for failing to live righteously. You know, that kind of judgmentalism and harshness. I remember hearing a Christian leader, when confronted with the accusation that Christianity is all about thou shalt not, saying, never says that in the Bible. And the person they were debating with, in the end, he said it, this went back and forth several times. And the person said, it definitely does say in the Bible, thou shalt not do all sorts of things. The person kept saying, no, it doesn't say that. Uh, and, and the argument got a bit heated. And then eventually, 
uh, the Christian leader said, it does use those words, but never in that tone of voice. Because <laughs> when God says don't do something, he's not doing it because he's a killjoy or because he wants to constrain us or have us living restricted lives. He's doing it because, like a parent, he knows what's best for us. Now, we've all seen the parent who's lost patience with their kids in a supermarket or whatever, and they start shouting. And sometimes God might speak very forcefully to us, but it is always from the motive of love. He knows what is best. For example, he speaks forcefully to us that we should not tell lies. And that's difficult for us to hear because there isn't a person here who hasn't lied. And if we're prepared to do a bit of self-scrutiny, our relationship with the truth sometimes is not very good at all. We don't want to face the whole truth about ourselves or about anything else quite a lot because it makes us feel ashamed or it's just very uncomfortable. Reality is hard to deal with. But God knows that if we run from reality and we tell lies, then we will corrode ourselves, we will corrode our relationships with others, we will make fools of ourselves, people will not trust us, and ultimately, if enough people in society do it, it will corrode all public institutions. Do you think what's going on with our culture? Faith in institutions and in public figures is at an all-time low, almost across the board. Because so many have been caught in lies. And that's why God warns us, in this particular case, not to tell lies. Now, there are versions of Christianity around that say something approximating to this. The gospel is this. It doesn't matter what you've done. Christ died on the cross so you could be forgiven. And not only does it not matter what you've done, it doesn't really matter what you do. He'll forgive you. So you might as well just get on with your life, relax, just do whatever you like, and God will make up the difference, and then you get to heaven when you die. Now, that is nearly the gospel, but it is not the gospel. It's a kind of subtle perversion of the gospel, but it will lead you very badly astray in the end if you believe that. The gospel is not the absence of rules or restrictions or commandments. It is a particular way of God making up for the fact that we find it impossible to live up to his commandments forgiving us and empowering us to do better. That's what the gospel actually is. So the gospel does not get rid of the rules, but it does mean something important happens with rules. Now, actually, whilst our culture is pursuing this path of freedom equaling absence of restrictions, meanwhile it is realizing it doesn't work. So, next slide please. Although we don't use the word rules anymore, this word, boundaries, is very common in our culture now, and it basically means the same thing. And I think we all now recognize, and if you've been to see a counselor, almost inevitably this word, boundaries, will have come up. Because actually, good rules are an expression of wisdom, and no relationship can possibly work in the absence of some rules or boundaries or whatever word you want to use from it. Nobody can have a relationship with somebody and at the same time say, this relationship will make absolutely no impact on the way I behave. Those two th that, that's no relationship at all then, is it? 
And as we've seen, therefore, love is expressed through determination to live in a way that is in accordance with that love. Take the marriage service. At the marriage service, the couple stand at the front. They're all dressed up like they should be. And the minister, like me, leads them through a set of promises. And he says to one, the long and short of it is, however life goes, will you love this one? And they say, I will. And at that point, if you've got a heart beating inside your body, some emotion is stirred. It's romantic. What's romantic about it? They've made a determination to be obedient to the requirements of genuine love. Love, true love, emotion and obedience and faithfulness, it's all wrapped up in itself. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, it's because of this. We're not equal partners, us and Jesus. He's in charge, not us. And because of that, if you love him and you understand who he is, when he says something, our response is not to evaluate it and decide whether we think it's wise or not. Our response is to be obedient because he's in charge. It's not like the marriage relationship, well, it's like some marriage relationships, uh, where one is in charge and the other one isn't. Actually, hang on, it is quite like my marriage relationship now I think about it. Uh, But anyway, more on that later. Um, uh, I'm not the one in charge. Uh, Well, uh, okay, sorry, that's a detour. Just coming back back to what I wanted to talk about. Um, Jesus is in charge. That's the nature of the relationship. So our call, if we truly love him, is to be obedient to him. Why does God command us to do some things and refrain from others? Next slide, please. Here are at least four reasons. First of all, he gives us instructions to protect us from the consequences of foolish behavior. We can either learn from God's instruction or we can learn from experience. The wise course of action is to learn from God's instructions because that way we are saved a lot of grief. Having said that, as human beings, we so often need to learn from our mistakes, don't we? Secondly, he gives us instructions as a means of demonstrating growing love and trust and faith in him. You know, when God asks me to do something that I find hard, I would have no way of expressing love for him other than by, at times, saying, God, this is hard for me, but I'm going to be obedient to you. And make no mistake, sometimes God asks us, to, asks us to, to follow great paths of sacrifice in our lives. That is the gospel. That's Christianity. Read the story of faithful Christians of yesteryear. They, they made great acts of sacrifice. God calling people to go overseas with the gospel. And them knowing they'd probably die. In, in years gone by because they didn't have immunity to the kind of diseases that, that, that would be prevalent in the places they went. And you know, lots of our forebears went in obedience to God under those circumstances and they took their coffins on the ships with them knowing that they weren't coming back. 
This is the level of sacrifice God might call us to. Thirdly, because in being obedient to God, and we, we go with the grain of the world that he has created, and we develop virtue and character and wisdom. Oh, that God would give us leaders of virtue and character and wisdom. And before you're too quick to criticize them, and we are very quick to criticize our leaders, are we people of virtue and character and wisdom? Leadership places great stress on the personality. People of weak character can't handle it. So we pray for our leaders, even as we pray that ourselves we would develop virtue and character and wisdom. The fourth reason, a very important one, that God gives us commandments is to force us to our knees before Christ. And we'll come to that, more on that in a moment or two. Um, but I've got this little uh, prayer book here that I, I write down in it things that I, um, I find meaningful. And here's something that was written, uh, a quotation from Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew is, um, well, some of you will know he is. If you don't, Google him. He's, he's worth knowing about. This is something he said. When you read the Bible, Brother Andrew suggests, pray these words. God, speak to me, and whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. He says, then a whole life of adventure starts that will scare you. You're asking for problems when you follow Jesus radically. But in the midst of it, you say, hallelujah, I'm on the right track. Do the book, says Brother Andrew. Do it. You can read his story. Um, it's well worth reading about the kind of problems it led him into as well as the joys it gave him. Brothers and sisters, we should resolve to read this book and do what it says. It is the expression of God's loving authority over our lives. What sort of commands will you find in the Bible? Here's a few, a few of the most important for you. What are the rules? Jesus was asked exactly that question, because there's a lot of rules in the Bible, and some, a religious expert said to him, what's the most important of them? And he said, you are to love God with your whole personality. Not just on Sunday mornings for 20 minutes or however long during worship. You are to love him 24-7 with your mind, with your heart, with your will. Put him first in every way. Anyone claiming they've achieved that? No. So we've all got some growth, right? And secondly, we are to love our neighbor, those who bear God's image, as ourselves. Jesus says in one sense, if you do that properly and thoroughly, you've done it. All the rules are founded on that. That's not to say that none of the other things the Bible says are important. Jesus is saying, in a sense, every single rule we find in Scripture is rooted in those two basic motivations. Secondly, um, in the book of Acts, Acts 15, you find a crisis point at the church where they're trying to work out what the kind of bare minimum is for someone to be a Christian. And two sets of rules emerge. One is that there is to be no idolatry. That, if you like, is a flip side of loving God with all your heart. You're not to worship anything else. I'm not to worship anything else. 
And secondly, sexual purity. Those were the two, um, two, under, uh, two basic concerns that the early church said, you cannot be a Christian without a commitment to those two things. And sexual purity being such a hot topic in our culture, um, Tim will be focusing on that this evening in greater detail. Fourthly, uh, fourthly yes, fourthly, honour, authority. I chose this rule because it's so countercultural. That's not to say blind obedience to authority, but we are to have a basic respect for parents, prime ministers, and presidents, and bosses. Our, our relationship to them should be one of, at the very least, respecting the office they hold. Fifthly, um, I've interpreted the instruction to, to honour the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments as to develop a healthy rule of life. In short, we are to have a healthy balance in our lives between worship, family life, relaxation, and work. We are not to exhaust ourselves. That is dishonouring to God. He didn't create us for exhaustion. Sixthly, we are to speak the truth. I already made some comments about that. But lying, distorting reality, usually to cover up something that we've done wrong or something that would be unhel- would not, we feel would not do us a favour if it got exposed, that is weak behaviour. And ultimately, when the truth comes out, which it invariably does, it brings much deeper levels of shame than had we confessed to the original Offense. And fi- finally here, although, you know, the whole Bible is there waiting for you to discover uh, the way God chooses to cause you to live and calls me to live, we're to be content. We're taught in the scriptures not to covet, not to, be, not to hanker after things that do not belong to us, whether people or possessions. Now, Perhaps you've thought, as I've been talking, a thought that has occurred to you that occurred to me while I was preparing it. I just stand condemned. I can't live up to all these rules. And none of us can if we're honest. And I want to suggest to you, if that's you, there's two ways out of that situation. One is, next slide please, Blaming other people, evading responsibility, perhaps saying, do you know what, I just don't recognise any of these rules, I'm the authority around here, and I will decide whether what, what I do is right or wrong. That's fine, as long as you don't strike a relationship with anybody else, okay, otherwise there's going to be a heck of a mess. I was speaking to a person who was a confessing Christian a few years back. And they were in uh, a relationship that they knew right well was not a relationship they should have been in, a sexual relationship. And I, as winsomely but as firmly as I could in discussion, said, if you are serious about your Christian faith, this just has to stop. And they didn't really want to stop. And so they were sort of struggling. And then these words came out of this person's mouth. He said to me, 
James, what you've got to realise is, I didn't ask for this, it just happened to me. <laughs> Sexual relationship. Just happened to me, right? I decided to be facetious. I'm not above being facetious at times. I said, wow. <laughs> How? Talk me through the mechanics of that. What happened? And they had the gall to look irritated with me. <laughs> From the garden onwards, human beings have been doing this. Evading responsibility. Let me tell you the first step, not just to being a Christian, but to being any kind of decent human being, is to accept responsibility for your behavior and your choices. Of course, there are mitigating circumstances to all our choices, but if you won't take responsibility for your actions, then really in the end there's no hope for you to get any better than you currently are. But there is a different way out, and this is the Christian way out. The Bible teaches that the rules God gives us, as I said earlier, are meant to drive us to our knees before Christ. Uh, the way Paul puts it is this, that the law, the rules of God, God's rules are like a translation. I don't have time to go into all the fine details. Essentially like a school teacher that says to us, you need to go to Christ. The rule that says, for example, do not lie. And all of us have to think, yeah, I realize it's true. We shouldn't lie. And I have. The purpose of God giving us that rule, or one important purpose of God giving us that rule, is that in acknowledging that we have not lived as we should, we are driven to our knees before Christ seeking forgiveness. Next slide, please. This is a famous painting by Rembrandt called The Return of the Prodigal. There's the prodigal son, and there is the father embracing him. And every time we come before God, in a sense, this process happens each time. As we come before him and say, God, I've messed up. I'm not the person I could be. There is not, I don't love the truth like I should. I'm constantly, you know, I, I watch an advert on TV and before I know it, the marketers have had their way with me and I'm hankering after something I don't need to impress people I don't even like. I'm a mess. I look at people and instead of seeing your image and seeing them in who they are, I see them as an object of some kind that in some way I might exploit. Forgive me. And the picture demonstrates God's reaction to people like that. Next slide, please. And the cross, therefore, does give us freedom, not freedom to do whatever we like, but freedom to be restored, freedom for people like you and me who've messed up in countless ways to be given a restored relationship with our Father and for our love for him to be renewed and for our desire to please him to be restored. And then, next slide, we're promised the gift of the Spirit to strengthen us so that our desire to please God and be obedient to the righteous ways that he calls us to live is restored. And it seems to me the Christian life is a life of going round and round that process. But hopefully it's not just going round in circles. 
we are spiraling in on God. One day we'll meet him face to face and that'll be the end of the process because we'll be utterly transformed. But in the meantime, as we go through this life, as we read the scriptures, as we pray, as we meet with others, as we worship God on a Sunday and then try and worship him during the week, we are spiraling in on God, growing in maturity, becoming the kind of people who can be fruitful for him in this world. If you're a young person and ambitious, you're looking at life and it's a mountain to be climbed, God bless you. Climb the mountain. Go and seek the positions of influence. But make sure you put at least as much effort into becoming the kind of person that God could trust with power and authority that you do in attaining that power and authority. Otherwise, you can create quite a mess. If you love Jesus, resolve in the power of God's Spirit and seeking him for his grace when you mess it up, if you love Jesus, keep his commands. God bless you.